Welcome to Flowstars, candid conversations between Dr. Peter O'Toole and the big hitters of flow cytometry. Brought to you by Beckman Coulter at Bite Size Bio. Hi, today on Flowstars, I'm joined by Rui Gardner, flow cytometry core head at the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, and we discuss the pitfalls of undergraduate teaching. I think that biology degrees or, or research uh, oriented degrees should essentially teach you how to think, to be critical, how to evaluate things in a very unbiased way. And I think that's that's pretty much the thing that we've we've lost. The importance of conference happy hour. This is just a typical example of, of how I used to drink in, in these conferences. You know, you would start with a glass as you see there, and then yep. we would just start asking for pictures, right? And, and why not have a picture of sangria? Why core facilities are such a good match for Rui? It was a bit of everything that I always wanted. It was the science, the interaction with people, the, um, the non-pressure of having to publish. I remember thinking, I don't have to publish anymore. And a huge weight just left my, my shoulders. And, and why leaving your comfort zone can be a really good thing. Leaving your comfort zone is one of the most difficult things, but it's also one of the most um, gratifying things um, when you know when you start becoming successful. All in this episode of Flow Stars. Hi, I'm Peter O'Toole from the University of York, and today on the Flow Stars, I'm joined by Rui Gardner from the Sloan Kettering Institute over in New York. Rui, how are you today? I'm doing very good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, it's been a while since we met. I've got to say, you're looking rather dashing with the new the new. Uh, the new Beard. look. <laughs> Thank you. Your hair for this. Well, you know, I, I I realized that people didn't really take me seriously. So you know, I looked, I looked. They kept saying, "Ah, you look so young," and that actually is is. I mean, in a way, it's good. But on the other hand, when you really want respect, um, it's not that good. So I decided to grow a beard, and yeah, I've actually uh, gained a lot of more respect from people now. So yeah, now you look old. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Old and wise, you know, that, you know, you can trick people like that. <laughs> I would encourage you to grow a beard. <laughs> yeah, you want to maybe look younger. <laughs> oh, maybe. <laughs> anyway, so, how is, so obviously you're not a native of New York. Where did, where did you start with your undergraduate? So my, my undergraduate, I, I, so it was all essentially done in Lisbon, um, in the Faculty of Sciences uh, of the University of Lisbon. Um, and I studied biochemistry and, and it was a, it was a rough start because, you know, I dreamt, um, so my, my, my passion for science, um, started actually, I'm looking at the book, um, that I, that I read when I was 12 or 13 years old and it was the life of, of Pasteur. And, and I was really, you know, I was really intrigued with the fact that, wow, this guy had ideas. And as a child, he would try to you know, uh, find, um, you know, tubes and, and, and do experiments. And I, I just thought that was, you know, in his own house. And then as he grew up, he built his lab in his house. Um, and I thought that was amazing. Like, I, I can do the same. I can start asking all these questions that I, that I don't have an answer for. And it really got me going with, with, uh, with science. And, you know, by the time I was 18, I was convinced that, yeah, no, I, I really want to follow research. And, and I didn't know much about, you know, what would be the best degree for, for, for science and to become a scientist. And I really loved biochemistry, but I didn't really understand what biochemistry was at that time, because I thought biochemistry was more biology, what I know now is, is yeah. biology. So I, I actually think that I, I should have gone to biology rather than biochemistry, um, because biochemistry had all that part that I actually dislike, which is memorizing all the structures of the, of the molecules, et cetera. And that's not really what I wanted to do. I wanted to follow, you know, I wanted to study biology. I was really intrigued with, uh, you know, photosynthesis, the respiratory chain, all these kind of things, which is biochemistry, right? But, but it was more uh, maybe biochemical, you know, regulation, you know, how the, how the system reaches homeostasis and things like that. Those, those for me were the intriguing questions. And so I started, uh, when was that? 1991. That was when I started my, my degree. Um, and as I said, it was a bit of a rough start because I thought, you know, I had this naive notion of science. I'm going to, you know, we're going to sit down. Our teachers are going to give us problems. We're going to, you know, brainstorm, um, trying to figure out these, these questions. I thought I was going to work in the lab. 
Um, but no, that was so naive. It was basically, uh, I remember my first class, we were sitting down, you know, hoping for an introduction and to feel really excited. The teacher came, they, the teacher didn't even look at us. He just turned around and he started writing on the board and it was math. And it was, he just started writing on the board. Didn't say anything. And it was the whole class. We thought we were actually being, uh, uh, how, uh, how do you say, um, what's the word um, when you're new and they do something to you? Uh, an induction type thing. Uh, right, hazing, right? Something like that. Um, and I thought, I thought it was a joke, but it wasn't. It wasn't a joke. It was just like that. Teachers didn't care. Um, it wasn't about thinking. Uh, it wasn't about, um, you know, the thought process. It was all about just providing material. At the end of the year, you, you do, a, or at the end of the semester, you do an exam. And it wasn't even a continuous evaluation. It was just do an exam, whatever, you know, grade you have on that exam is the grade you have for your, for your discipline, right? And so it was very disappointing. My first year, I just dedicated myself to the, to the lab work. I uh, really enjoyed the, the lab work. And then, and then, you know, after a year, I thought, well, now I have two options. Either I continue, uh, but now I have, you know, several disciplines that I have to work on and, and, and catch up. Or I'll just say, okay, I, I missed this year. I actually did all the practicals. So now I only have to dedicate to the, um, to the theoretical part. And so I, I decided to stay a year behind and just, and just do the rest uh, in a row. Uh, so it took me another five years. So total was about six years. Uh, the fifth being uh, actually working in a in a in the lab, um, and I can tell you about that. You know, because I I ended up not going to an actual wet lab uh, by the by my fourth year. I was already also convinced that I really loved applying math to to biology. It was just such a an exciting way of formalizing biology because you think of biology as so complex. It's so hard to predict, right? And here was a tool where you could write things down and you could make predictions. And I thought that was really, really exciting. So you and went so from not liking things being just written down and wants to be practically in the lab to then liking just writing things down and predicting what you might have done in the lab. Right. So that's, um, yeah, that's an interesting way of, of putting it. But what I didn't like was the, the, the memorizing part, right? Just, just memorizing for memorizing, you know, what's, what's, what's the usefulness of it? Why am I, you know, memorizing this, you know, I can do that later, or if I need this, you know, this material, I'll, I, I, I know how to read, I can go to the books and, and, and learn whatever I want. So I thought that was a waste of time to force us to, to learn things that we have no idea. Actually, we didn't even so we didn't know when we were going to apply it. And actually, we didn't know to, to what to apply it to, right? Especially math and, and, and the physics. You know, you had all those, all that material, or chemistry also. You had all that material that you didn't know when would you apply that. You know, and you apply that when you start getting to more advanced um, biology and actually trying to answer questions, right? But, but that's the thing. If you have, you know, if you're going to study, you know, genomics, right, then you study everything around genomics, right, and how the DNA works, how, how genes work, how they're expressed, etc. But if you're going to be studying, I don't know, population dynamics, there's not much that you need to know about, you know, DNA, right? I mean, it's always helpful in generic terms, but not at that extent, right? So we were learning a lot of material, which I thought, you know, maybe one day it's going to be useful. But when you're young, you know, and, and you're at the prime of your life and you're, you know, you're, you're asking, you're, how do you say, you're, you're, you're asking questions that typically people, you know, as they grow older, they might not have, you know, the, the, the audacity to, to ask, right? When you're young, everything, you challenge everything, right? You challenge absolutely everything. And as you grow, you start becoming more and more. Um, you know, you, you start having more and more prejudice about everything, right? So, so that's why it's very important. Actually, you know, a small parenthesis here, I think that biology degrees or, or research-oriented uh, degrees should essentially teach you how to think, to be critical, how to evaluate things in a very unbiased way. And I think that's, that's pretty much the thing that we've, we've lost, well, or maybe never gained um, in, in many degrees. Um, you know, and I think that should be the way to go, um, rather than just learn so much material. Do you not think that that learning that material gave you the foundations to then go and 
ask the questions because then you know what you can ask. You know, in right. and you know where to go look for answers. But right. again, if we go back to our biochemistry textbooks, half of it is no longer relevant. Right. You know, things exactly. have moved on. Technology has moved on. Answers that the science has, has developed quite rapidly. I, I started in 91 as well. Right. Uh, <laughs> I, I just sat down and just got on with it because I just I, I quite enjoyed the nightlife. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> uh, um, and research. Yeah, and actually, I chose biochemistry without knowing what biochemistry was properly. My right. brother, so it sounded like a good thing to do. Uh, very similar to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, once you got in the research lab, and yeah, I remember, especially the chemists, some of the some of the chemists, not they're just back to you. And there's a chalkboard. Right. Okay. There's a thought, it's chalk back then. And it was just one line down, three lines across, there's your carbon chain. C's here, oxygen's there, nitrogen's there. Next. Arrow goes to this. Arrow goes to this. And it was just throughout. But I, okay, so I thought that I, no context, no context whatsoever. Right. Once the context came into place, I had that ammunition. Right. I biochemistry has got to be one of the best degrees out there because if you do anything with a cell, it's all driven by biochemistry. Right. And when biology doesn't turn out the way you expect it to, it's because the biochemistry is different. Right. I, I actually viewed biochemistry as you know, a, more, a more exact science than biology, right? So it was kind of bringing the math, you know, and the physics and the chemistry into, into biology. And actually, my, so my mentor, the, the, the person that, that actually um, started the degree in biochemistry, um, I believe 10 years before um, I started. So it was probably, it's probably in 80, 81 that it started. Um, there in Lisbon, and and this guy had been actually um, Hans Krebs' PhD student, um, and so he was he was you know pretty you know driven, excited. He was all about you know brainstorming the thought process. He would use to go to the labs and and make sure that people were doing things correctly, right? He didn't care about the you know whether they had knowledge or not. It was more um you know best practices it was all about best practices and and that really you know and and that's you know coming to your point i think those are actually the more important things that stuck with me um i you know i agree with the fact that yeah you 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 do build ammunition you know when you're reading all these things but but it's a very inefficient way of of, of doing things that's that's my um way of thinking it so th this this guy that started um actually had the same name as, as I, Rui, also. Um, and he, for him, he used to say biochemistry is maths, uh, chemistry, and physics, you know? And as long as you have this, this, this great foundation, then you can learn anything in biology. Everything is just details. And I, and I really, that, that sunk in because I, I, that's why I, I thought that was such a waste of time learning all this material give me questions or let me answer these questions and I'll have to find that material. I'll, I'll learn all the bases, right? And, and so the, I think the subjects should be taught based on questions, right? That force people to go there. You know, maybe I'll learn uh, a different part of that foundation. Somebody else will learn a different part of that foundation, but it's, it's, it's part of finding the information that you need as a biologist, as a researcher later on, because later on when you're asking questions in the lab, you're not going to go, okay, so where has this been answered, right? Where are the books, you know, the, the, the thing is, if you lack those foundations, you'll go and find them, right? You'll go uh, and, and, and search. I, I think you're right to a degree that, that there are those that will come out with a top degree uh, that are very good at regurgitating information, reciting information. And there are those that are maybe come out with a lesser degree, but actually are very good at applying mm -hmm. and finding solutions. And actually, for, for, from, I guess from an academic research perspective, it's the people who can actually take what they know and apply it, mm -hmm. find the information and apply it that, that are most important. Right. Uh, and yeah, the, 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 there is different. Uh, I've got you obviously, for those who are listening, I think Ruiz might be sitting in your lounge, dining room, office. No, in my, in my living room. In your living room. <laughs> And you seem to have quite a bottle collection just behind you. Yes, I do. <laughs> and is that all alcoholic drinks? 
Yes, these are all alcoholic drinks. This is my, um, well, actually, this this is what I have for lunch or for dinner. Um, so I always have them with me <laughs> in my office here. And so that, that is quite a collection. And you sent me, so I, I looked, I, I hadn't noticed. And then I looked down and thought, oh, my goodness, that there's a lot of spirits um, down there. I, a lot of haunted, right. these are alcoholic spirits. And actually, you sent me some, oh, go on. There you go. That's quite impressive. And I love the way you put your children around your drinks. Exactly. I put all the important things together. <laughs> <laughs> right to start with. The, uh, but you sent me some pictures as well. And, and right. now I understand why you sent me this picture, because this is a picture of you drinking directly out of a picture of sangria. Right. Of sangria. So, I, I, yeah, I, I forget exactly where this was, but all the pictures I sent you were pictures either, you know, where I used to work or of conferences where, where I went. So I believe this must have been either conference in Lisbon or maybe in Valencia um, where and, and, you know, this is just a typical example of, of how I used to drink in, in these conferences. You know, you would start with a glass, as you see there, and yep. then we would just start asking for pictures, right? And, and why not have a picture of sangria directly? I mean, you have a picture of, 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 of beer, right? So, <laughs> so that's, that's, the, um, that's the way I like to see myself in these conferences. Um, I mean, they're extremely important. You know, the science, the technology is extremely important, but the networking part for me is, is the most important of all. Um, this is one of the things I love of float cytometry is, is how we, are able to, so when I started in flow, I, I had come as a, you know, I was a scientist and I used to go to scientific conferences. And I remember, you know, again, with this enthusiasm of, you know, I wanted to, there were people that were doing work very similar to mine. And I was the only one that I knew that was doing what I was doing. And so you would find somebody else asking the same questions and addressing them in a slightly different way. And that for me was was so exciting. Jesus, there's somebody else. First, it's a validation that maybe what I'm doing is 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 also relevant, right? If somebody else is also working on that. So, and and then and then the fact that they also knew and had thought about it, and I could discuss with them. So I, I remember reaching out to these people like in a poster session or something like that. And then and then you know their first reaction, and this happened a few times. Their first reaction was, uh oh. There's somebody that wants to, that's doing the same thing as I do, right? So they're going to take my work, publish it, and then I'm, I'm done. And, and I didn't think like that. I, I, and I, and I have to say, I'll, I'll just say, it's not a naive, you know, I thought that maybe I was being too naive, but it's not. Um, a lot of, I've, 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 I've had the, the fortunate, um, you know, I was, I've been fortunate to, to actually attend several uh, lectures of, of um, Nobel Prize winners, and for me, the, the 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 thing that I hear that's common to all of these people is they always say the best thing if you want to reach, you know, this level, um, the best thing to do is share everything you do, like don't keep it to yourself. And I thought that was very strange because what I'm learning as a, a young scientist is actually the opposite. I tried to share my research and they just close themselves you know worst even worse they might take my ideas and then use them and i thought that was very strange um and and so there was a, a you know a, a lot of um how do i say you know the atmosphere wasn't it was very competitive and and i remember the first conference that i went which by the way i don't know if you were there it was in the german society meeting i think it was 2007 um, I think maybe we met in the in Flow Cytometry UK, also maybe 2007 or 2008. Um, and I remember, you know, these conferences were local conferences, right? And the people there were just amazing. Everybody was relaxed. Um, there was no competition between, hey, you're doing that, then you're going to steal that away from me and publish it. No, it was just a bunch of people. Well, who did I meet? Um, you know, Andy Riddell, Alexis already knew, but um, you know, Ray Hicks, um, uh, you know, all these these folks from the UK. Again, I remember if you were there on that one or for Flocetometry UK that I met you, but you know, Rachel was probably there, Rachel Walker, you know, all these people, and it was just a lot of fun. We would go to bars. I think I think Alfonso was also uh, also there. Um, Alfonso Blanco and 
you know, it was just fun. It was just people were, and I could ask all the questions, you know, I, I had just started maybe six months in flow. I had no idea what flow cytometry was when I started. Uh, I, actually, the person that was- why did, why did you choose flow cytometry? You right. didn't know what it was when it started to- Right, I didn't choose flow cytometry. So yeah, I can I can tell you how it how it happened. So I was doing a postdoc computational biology. Um, I was actually in a theoretical immunology group, um, and I was studying. Basically, I was trying to um, uh, you know understand the interaction between T cells, APCs, um, you know, and so effector T cells, regulatory T cells, and how the regulatory T cells were able to regulate the effector T cells. Did they? You know, did they bind to the APCs, and then the APC would would now recognize the, the you know the effector T cell, or was it an interaction between the regulatory T cell and the effector T cell at the same time on the APC? You know, so we were trying to figure out if you know by modeling this. So I I, I was basically programming, um, and it was it was graphical. I remember doing this with with C uh, programming language, and but it was it was graphical, right? So you had the balls were the cells. They were just floating randomly and they would touch uh, each other and I would change the, um, you know, the rules of the game, right? So in one scenario, the, um, the um, for instance, the regulatory T cells wouldn't do anything to the effector T cells. They would only activate the APCs, right? And the other scenario, they would have to be both together with the APC to be able to have, um, an, a, a, you know, an let's say an effector mechanism and and so i tried all these these scenarios around so that that was my 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 project um and i was working on this and the frustrating part is that i had already lost two years in another project that didn't work out i actually we we, we ended up finding out that we were analyzing data we were trying to reproduce data that that um that was fake so it wasn't it wasn't true it had been published but but we met the people that were working on this, and we finally uh, understood that they had, um, you know, it was they had fraudulently, whether it was on purpose or not, uh, the data wasn't wasn't true. So you know, and I frustratingly, I had spent these two years um, wasting my postdoc time, and I was realizing that also, you know, all the pressure, you know, the interaction between researchers, their PIs, and and the academic environment, the bad part of the academic environment, which we can talk about if you want, but um, was was very was very obvious at that time, and I and I thought, well, you know, I like academia. I like science. I want to continue being involved in science, but this is not working. I don't want to become a PI running around grants and money and stressing all the time that I don't have enough publications. And, and it's just so stressful where I just want to spend time thinking of problems and finding solutions to problems, right? Again, it seems a bit naive, but um, but then this guy approached me um, in my former institute in, in Lisbon, in the Gulbenkian Institute. And he said, you know, um, our, you know, the, the person that's running the full cytometry core um, is actually leaving in three weeks. And um, our director was asking me to make a list of people that I thought internally would be the best um, people to, to take over. And he knew that I was starting to look at, um, you know, alternative careers in, in science. You know, I was thinking of communication, um, you know, oh, and then there's another factor here. I was a computational biologist. Um, you know, although I loved my my colleagues, we had you know um, amazing interactions, and and we used to get along extremely well. But we worked in a in an office, right? We were just on our computers, and there was silence most of the day. You know, uh, the only times that the silence was broken was when I started you know messing around and you know or or saying jokes or, or stuff like that. Um, and and they they loved it. I know they loved it, but I was interrupting them, right? So sometimes I had to <laughs> to be careful and and not exaggerate too much. But but so you know, one of the things I missed a lot was interacting with people. You know, I need to interact with people. I've learned throughout my life that I'm I'm an extrovert. I need interaction with people to gain energy, or else I'll start mm, dropping. <laughs> And and so and and that was missing, and I was realizing all these things at, at that time. And so, the guy said, you know, we the first person I thought of was you because you know you you're a computational biologist, you you love technology, um, uh, but you're also into biology. You know, there are a lot of computational biologists that come from physics or come from 
of informatics, etc., that don't really understand the biology, right? So I had the biology background. So I came actually a bit of the opposite. I came from biology, learned math, and then um, jumped into to, to this field, which, by the way, wasn't called computational biology at the time. It was mathematical biology, uh, bioinformatics, and just started. Um, so it was all different. You know, I know that people use these terms yeah. um, loosely as if they all mean the same, but it's it's not exactly the same. And, and so he told me that, well, you know, you have all this background, so we think, and you also like people. And I remember him describing this and I thought, oh, wait a minute, you're saying that there, there is a person that's sorting cells for other people? <laughs> like, what do you mean? I, you know, and I, I was, I remember clearly imagining, so, but isn't it, I remember I, I, thinking of a Petri dish I thought that people would, you know, with a, you, you know how it is with, with in vitro fertilization yeah. where you put needle there. I thought it was a process like that. You know, you put one cell over there, some of these cells, and that's how naive <laughs> I thought about. So I didn't know anything about cell sorting or flow cytometry. I didn't know anything about core facilities because remember as a computational biologist, we don't really interact with core facilities. We have a computer, that was it. We ran stuff on the computer. Um, what year was this? What? What year was this? What year? It was 2006. Just uh, okay. Probably summer of 2006. And I took over. I remember I started in November 2006. So almost at the end of the year. Okay. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I knew Alexis because, you know, we knew each other. The, the institution was small. It had, I think, a maximum of 250 people, so 30 labs. So we, we knew all you know, each other. And, of course, I knew um, uh, Alexis. Um, we used to hang out in the parties and, you know, just, just, um, or outside at lunch. Um, I mean, you've, you've been at the Gulbenkian Institute, right? You've seen the outside area where we have lunch. It was always... Actually, I haven't. No, we haven't. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought, I thought you had been there. <laughs> they have to invite you. Um, yeah. I don't think I'll, I have. I'll, I'll give a plug. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, the, the thing was, I, when, when, when he started describing the concept of a, of a core facility. So it wasn't, that's why I was saying, I didn't choose flow cytometry. Um, I guess flow cytometry chose me, um, but I, I, I chose the core facility, you know, aspect. It could have been any technology. Actually, you know, when I started learning flow cytometry, I had a huge help. Um, you know, I, when I think of this, I have to thank so many people, you know, for, I'm so grateful for so many people throughout my life. You know, I, I can't say I'm here in the position that I am um, if it weren't for so, so many people. Um, and it's it's not like I'm just being nice and thankful. No, um, a lot of people helped me um, in the in the conversations that we had, the discussions that we had, trying to help me focus and, and realize what it was important for me. And I this in particular, uh, I, I remember thinking of the concept of core facility, the fact that you are involved with, with, with science, right? You're helping the researchers collaboratively, um, trying to, uh, you know, figure out their problems, you know, technical problems, but also, you know, related to the science. You have to translate the science to the technology, right? And, and, and be able to, um, to solve their problems. And I, and I remember thinking, wow, I can become an expert in this and this could be my thing. I could be really, um, helping these these researchers and you get to interact with these people all the time they come to you to you know they handle so it was a bit for me it was a bit of everything that I always wanted it was the science the interaction with people the um, the non-pressure of having to publish I remember thinking I don't have to publish anymore and a huge weight just left my my shoulders and this was in the conversation of maybe half an hour right all of this was going through my mind so, I, 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 so for those listening that may be doing their postdoc or their PhDs at the moment, you say there's this weight lifted off and they're thinking, yeah, but so what are you doing? You know, where's your impact to science? Right. But, but obviously there is a much, it is an impact. And, and I bet you're still being co-authored on lots of publications. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the thing. And I, you know, I have to say, but this is, this is more of a detail, but I, I actually had many more collaborations when I was in, um, in, in the Gulbenkian in Lisbon, 
um, just because because of the culture, right? The you know people needed experts, right? And you know we weren't swimming <laughs> in money, obviously, and and so a lot of these things have to be you know tinkered, tweaked. Um, you needed to to be very involved in 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 the research that people were doing to be able to solve these problems. And I remember um, flow cytometry was just um, about immunology. We only served immunology. Uh, which was maybe six, seven of the 30 groups that were there. The nice thing at the Gulbenkian Institute, it was very broad. Um, I mean, it had four main um, topics, um, but, you know, we had, we had people uh, studying plant biology, developmental biology, um, you know, and of course using, so even evolution. Um, actually, the people who were studying evolution were working with bacteria, um, they were studying the mechanisms of evolution, etc., and they started using flow cytometry. So my objective, like from the first weeks, I decided my goal is going to be to bring flow cytometry to all of the institution. Because I, I, the first thing that, that PIs told me when I first started was, oh, why can't we use flow cytometry? Why is it only the immunologists? Why do you guys give priority to all the immunologists, etc.? And I said, ah, but no, that at least my director told me that the objective of flow core is to serve everyone you know, equally. And yeah, so that's what I'm going to do. Five years later, everyone was using flow cytometry in the Institute. And it was really exciting. And we had a lot of collaborations. I had probably typically, so there were 30 labs and I had probably 20 ongoing collaborations um, with, with, with basically everyone. And it, it, was, it was really an exciting time where I learned a lot uh, in flow. Again, like I said, I, I learned a lot from, I mean, you know, Nuno, Nuno Moreno. Um, um, I learned a lot from him. Initially, I was, you know, I had a MoFlow <laughs> and uh, that was my machine. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> there you go. It's actually, because you mentioned earlier tinkering. Exactly. And, and this was an instrument that needed uh... a lot of tinkering. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, so I started with the MoFlow and Alexis, he taught me everything he could in two weeks before he left and how to work with the MoFlow, um, you know, how to, you know, basically set it up and, and be able to sort. And of course, in two weeks, especially when you know nothing, um, you know, by the time he left, um, I mean, he did a great job in two weeks. <laughs> he didn't really teach me as much as you can in, in those two weeks. Um, and, and, you know, I don't, I mean, I don't know if you remember how he is, but he's, um, I don't know if he's ADHD or not, but he's, he's He's an amazing guy, but but when he's when he gets excited, he's just I mean all over the place. And so I was trying to learn as much as possible, taking notes, seeing what he was doing at the same time. And and so in those two weeks, of course, when he left, um, you know the first people that came with their samples, um, of course, lasers are not working. I don't have signal. Mm, Ford scatter. Uh, where's the oh maybe the Ford scatter is not aligned. Maybe you know there were so many things that could be wrong. And of course, I remember being sweating, but keeping my calm and then just telling the, the researcher, look, of course, you understand that I'm new here, but I'm going to make this work. So give me give me some time. I would go and call Nunu. Nunu would come in. I remember Nunu would just start taking apart the, 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 the you know, the whole the whole assembly. And I would go, oh, my God, OK, <laughs> we're not going to sort today for sure. Um, but it was really exciting. It was just I learned so much of you know, the instrument, the technology, lasers. Nunu taught me to align lasers in the way, you know, I can I can almost without a, a you know, a microscope, um, I yeah. can align pretty much any, you know, from scratch. I remember uh, I remember with um, with a fax scan or fax caliber changing lasers, you know, the, the, the blue laser and just mounting it. And so I have to ask, do you miss the Bowflow? Because it was the best teaching tool and, and it was, it sounds actually like this was a nightmare. And actually, I don't think the MoFlow was far from a nightmare. Yes, it needed a bit of a light. Once you had it singing, once, right. I don't know, personally, I felt at one. I felt the MoFlow was an extension of me when I was in that lab. Absolutely. It was part of you. And you could feel it. You could hear it. You could sense it. You knew exactly. It didn't right. take troubleshooting because you just, you were part of it. And it was right. so... and, and and it would start working better when you were in the room, right? That's how <laughs> that's the relationship you you establish with with a, with a, a machine like the MoFlo, right? It's um it's almost like you know I'm exaggerating, but the thing is, yeah, you you can you can actually 
as you're working with that instrument day by day, you're actually changing things in a way that somebody else that comes in will need some time to <laughs> change you back to their to their way of doing things. I think I think the MoFlow, I miss it a lot. I, I think it's um, more of a R&D type of technology um, where you could, you know, for me, I did a lot of things with, like, like I said, um, you know, we, so we were the first to to sort the, the, the sperm cell and the vegetative nuclei from, from pollen. Um, this was the stuff, uh, Alexis started doing this in collaboration with, with one of the labs, one of the plant biology labs. And, you know, they were trying to run this sugar solution as sheath, and it was a mess. I mean, you know, imagine all the aerosols. And then as we were sorting, you know, our hands on the table were, you know, the gloves were getting, you know, sticky because <laughs> of all the sugar. So we had to clean it very well afterwards. But it was nice because as I went, you know, as I started understanding the machine more and more, um, we started getting rid of all these, you know, all of these different things that we would do, like changing the sheet. And we ended up actually being very successful doing it without, with just PBS, without even having to change the sheet. Um, and it ended up, because I remember we were going to publish the method because we had all these uh, modifications. But as, as I got better at it, I realized that, no, we actually don't need any of these modifications. We were just sorted just normally so there was no really method <laughs> to 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 publish um but it was really exciting the fact that we could change anything we were sorting bacteria yeast uh, even even starfish um zebrafish um any mammal dog horse um mouse human uh yeah human without the hood those were the days yeah um, that's it you the next question. So you, you took out the MoFlow, you started running a core, and this was back in Portugal. You're now over in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, Alexis left, obviously, so you took over. Where did Alexis go first? So Alexis went to Heidelberg to, to work with Andy Riddell yeah. at the time, AMBL. Um, AMBL. And, then, uh, and then after Andy left, he took over. And then, you know, they have this this uh, rotation. I don't know if it's three years. Yeah, it's nine years. Or... And, then, and then he left to Australia, uh, where he is now. Um, down in Melbourne. Right. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, and this is another thing of the, of the field, you know, it's, it's, it's not a, a that big field, right? It, I, I think it's big enough to, you can always meet new people, but it's small enough that the people you meet, um, you know, are still your your friends, you know, they're your colleagues, but they're friends also. And I, and I, that's one of the things I really like um, from, you know, from this field. Again, you know, I, I, I was saying that, you know, flow cytometry chose me when I started learning flow cytometry, especially with the MoFlow, um, with a micro, microscopist beside me, and I would go and see their microscopes, and they would, you know, explain to me all the things they were doing. I remember thinking that, you know, this is a much cooler technology than, you know, the MoFlow is exciting, but that it's moving towards, you know, pressing buttons. And, but this, you know, this requires not only understanding the, the technology, or let, let me put it this way, without understanding the technology, you're not going to help pretty much anybody, right? But with, with Flow, I know a lot of people that really don't understand the technology. They, you know, they read the user guides, press these buttons, we run the sample for you, and that's it, right? So in that respect, if I would choose a technology, I probably wouldn't have chosen flow cytometry, but I didn't know all this, these social aspects, right? The, um, the flow cytometry community is, you know, I have the feeling that it's, maybe it's not as spread as microscopy, right? Because microscopy is a general term. There are different fields in microscopy, right? Yeah. It's completely different. I sit in both camps and actually they're both really good communities really good networks and the, the, the microscopy community is very similar the, the light microscopy community is actually really quite tight-knit especially from the core side mm -hmm. you know, yeah we all know each other really well uh, just like with the flow cytometry i would argue the microscopists dance slightly better at conferences than the flow cytometrists but it's touch and go and it depends on how much everyone's had to drink by that point exactly i should start going to those still also <laughs> thinking of which see mm -hmm. you sent me this picture as well which is freakish this is it is God, explain yes so this was um it happened i think it, it was in uh, leipzig um if i'm not mistaken isaac and, in leipzig that was a love the venue the cavern downstairs and the oh yeah exactly 
And and I had I happened to have this um, you know Microsoft phone, and it had an app that you know that you could swap faces, and and I just thought it was hilarious. I had done this already in my you know back in my my lab, and and I thought, hey, I'm gonna start swapping faces of all these people. And I mean, it's just hilarious when you see you know you take the picture, and then you wait a little bit as it's you know swapping the face, and then suddenly. It appears, and there the faces swap, and it was just so funny. And so this, this, uh, in case you know people can't recognize the two people here, um, I'm actually on the right <laughs> with Rachel Walker's face, and Rachel is on the left with my face. <laughs> and so this is what we were doing: swapping faces. Um, I, uh, you know, from actually, I, I don't think I sent you. There's one with Paul Robinson and his postdoc that I swapped the faces. There's one with Rachel and Howard Shapiro, which, which, um, you know, I hold dear, um, you know, especially, you know, given the the recent, um, you know, pass away of of, of Howard, um, that you know was um, an absolutely remarkable, amazing human being, right? Not only I think he was for sure a, a savant. Um, he was just brilliant. Um, a, a memory that 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 I haven't you know I haven't met many people. Actually, I, I don't know if I've met people that have you know that capacity, that memory that he had, and you could discuss anything with him. But but more than that, he was a, an amazing human being. He would since he could remember everyone. So. I can I can maybe tell you a little story about about Howard. Um, so of course everyone knows Howard. I knew Howard. I would see him in the meetings. Um, you know, people were always a bit dismissal with him because you know he came out sometimes you know very strange or he's very he was very sometimes very abrupt on on you know um, because he was very driven, very excited. He wanted to know okay. You are working on this. Why are you working on this? Uh, have you noticed? You know, and people would would be really frightened that you know a person like you know this stature would, would would come up to them. And I remember in one conference, I forget which one it was, but very early on in, in my career, um, and he and he calls me out. He says, "Rui," and I and I thought, "What? He knows my name? Holy shit!" <laughs> you know, I go, "Okay." Um, and and I had my technician at the time, Telma. Who is now in in you know running? She's run several cores in, in Switzerland, and she she was with me. And I come you know up to Howard with her, uh, and I said you know come 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 with me. Let's 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 meet Howard. And and I you know the first thing I, I say hi Howard. Um, oh so this is this is Telma. And he goes yes I know who Telma is. And I thought whoa <laughs> like how does he know these things? So he must have gone to our website. He must have gone you know done his homework or research and apparently he needs to talk to me or maybe he just knows everyone he's been in everyone's website and um which was pretty impressive and i remember he started talking um you know uh, about malaria um i forget now the you know how he figured out but we were oh right exactly because we were collaborating with a lab in lisbon so not in my institute but um in the in the Institute of Molecular Medicine in, in Lisbon, um, where Paul Hutchinson used to be, uh, by the way, um, used to work. And, and there was a researcher there that worked with malaria and had contacted Howard. And so Howard knew that we had a MoFlo and so that we could work together. And so it was really, that, that was Howard. He, he knew everything. And, and at the time I only knew him as, you know, uh, you know as the, the person that wrote the Bible of cytometry. But but as we collaborated, uh, I ended up going to Boston, working with him, with Tricia Rogers. Um, at the time, she was at Harvard. Now she's at the Broad. And and I remember we 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 were collaborating, and and we went to his house for dinner, and and it was an amazing experience. You know, just being with Howard is an amazing experience. But but having the you know the pleasure to go there to his you know to his house, of course, he started showing everything, like all the songs that he played, his albums. And he actually, he, he, oh, I forget, there's this, this duet, two guys, I don't know, from the 50s, most likely you don't know, I forget now their name, but, but they, they were like comedians, but they sang, so they sang funny songs, and actually one of the guys um, was on a wheelchair, um, and, you know, all of this was black and white, I, I had no idea who they were, and he showed me, and, and they had a song was, which was called Madeira, Madeira Wine, 
you know, from, from, from the Madeira Islands, right? The Portuguese Islands. He knew all about Fado, the Portuguese Fado. He knew a lot about Portuguese history. Um, and I'm sure he knew about any other country's history. Um, but it, it was just such, you know, it, it was so amazing to see him so excited to show me, right? You know, why would he even bother, you know, showing, showing me these things? But he, he was like a kid. He was like a kid. Everything he did, he was like, he had the enthusiasm of a kid. And his humor was really, <laughs> you could be offended if you wanted um, by his humor, but if you weren't offended, his humor was brilliant. I, I think, I, I, I know some people have been offended by his humor, but I don't, I think that's because they didn't know him. And mm -hmm. if they knew him and where it was coming from, they'd understand yeah. actually this is on himself, not anything else. And he did the same for a lot of people. Now you mentioned the group and he was a star. You sent me this picture as well. Mm -hmm. which, which, uh, yes. To be fair, looks like you are modeling to be part of a boy band to be honest exactly so we were so we were looking uh, um, to take a picture so we were just the four of us um, and actually the person taking the picture was was just a you know kind of a not an intern but she was just there for a few months um, and so we asked her to take a picture of us because we wanted a picture of the lab and we said okay let's take pictures as if we were a boy band and so it um, was meant to look like a boy. Well, you succeeded quite to, well. <laughs> it was exactly. Um, you know, the funny thing is that you know this was the, actually the first picture we took, and and I looked at my you know my friend Tiago that's on the on the left, right right beside me in the in the yellow uh, jumper, and 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 I, I looked at the picture and I said, no, you look you don't look like a you know you, we're supposed to be serious and tough. And no, you don't look tough at all. You know, you need to, you're, you're almost smiling. So we need to redo the pictures. And then, and then, I don't know, I decided to boycott all the pictures after that. <laughs> so I was just making uh, stupid faces, although that one is pretty stupid already. <laughs> um, but that one was on purpose. The other ones were just messing around with the pictures. Um, and you say messing about, you also sent me this picture. Yeah, <laughs> which is of you and Alfonso, obviously pulling the birdie above my head. And then there's a guy <laughs> there. Uh, so yeah, this this is so this was one of the, the the nice things of being there in that institute was so this is five minutes from from where I worked, um, and so we would run courses, and this is a, a flow site course, by the way, my the first flow site course that I was involved in, and actually hosted it. And Alfonso and Tim Bushnell were the were the instructors, and we just you know it was just a lot of fun. We we were in the class, and then we would go for lunch uh, next to the beach. And this is just a picture you know of, of us. Actually, this is in October, by the way, and this is how Portugal is in October. You know, yeah, short sleeves. Rub it in, yeah. Right. Still, some people in the beach, as you can see, not many, but you know, it's October, right? Yeah, but but but. The classroom's just the same, isn't it? It doesn't matter what the weather is outside. Inside, it doesn't matter. Actually, so this this picture is um, is from Zagreb. This this is uh, also a flow site course. So um, that that first course that we ran, uh, I believe I'm going to say 2011. Um, that first that was in the beach, um, and then and then I started. So you know, with Alfonso and Tim, um, I started lecturing for flow site and also Excite. So that was more or less at the time where Excite started. And I remember I would, so I was running a lab, I hired one and then two uh, technicians and every, at least every month I would, I would go to and, and give one of these courses some, in some place in, in Europe. Um, and I remember Tim saying, uh, you know, we'll, we'll give you, um, you know, a, a stipend. So we'll reward you financially for this. And I kept telling him, no, no, just, just, just pay the, the expenses, pay me the trip, because just the fact that I'm going to other labs is just for me is such a, a um, you know, a rich opportunity to, to see how people do things, um, how they, you know, how they work, how they run their labs, et cetera, their, their core facilities. And so for me, it was an opportunity actually to learn. And at the same time, I could teach. And teaching is also a learning process. You know, it, it, it also teaches you a lot. And this is Dennis? And that is Dennis, Dennis Polachink. Yes. And we had a lot of fun. I went twice to, to Zagreb. Actually, I was going to continue going there every year. Um, but, but then I moved to the, to the U.S., which was a pity because we also a lot of fun there in, in, in Zagreb. I, I wanted to ask, we only got about 15 minutes left, and I wanted to ask, that's a big move going to the US from Portugal. Uh, 
How did you find it? With family at the time? Yes. Yes. So I, I presume they were supportive. How, there must have been a lot of trepidation about moving. Yeah, so, I mean, how did you find right. It? So the the thing is, when I when I was doing my PhD, um, the idea of my PhD. So this was back in 1998 when I started my PhD. Um, so I finished my degree in '97. I was six months in a, a you know working in a in a in a lab, and then I started my PhD right right after. And the idea was to stay six months in the U.S. learning all these tools, these computational biology tools. And then I would come, I would go back to Portugal and, and, and work in the lab. So both in the lab, but also in the, both in the wet lab and in the dry lab, um, you know, building a model, testing that model, going back and refining the model and, and to, to, to do these things back and forth, which, which I thought was the way to do, you know, the best way to do science uh, was having that structure that, you know, as I said, formalizing things uh, mathematically so you can, you know, predict, test, and then go back and refine your 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 model, and 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 so I went to the U.S. I went to the University of Michigan. I fell in love with not only with with the with the with the culture, the the you know the lifestyle, but also with the. I mean, I was in the University of Michigan, so that's where they announce um, where oh, I forget his name. Um, you know where they were the doing the you know genome sequencing that. Uh, Craig Venture, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's when he announced it was there in a, in a in a in a lecture that they weren't going to spend ten years or whatever it was. He said that um, I remember it was like the end of the year, and he said next May or next April we'll have the human genome sequence, and everybody was blown away. You know, so you know you're in the middle of all these things happening, and I thought I'm going to go back to Portugal. Why? <laughs> you know, like this is this is it. This is where I want to be. And so at the time, so I got married five days before I left to the US because, you know, I, I thought I, I was already predicting and my wife kept telling this was the less the least romantic way of, of, of um, asking to marry uh, someone because I remember we were thinking I'm going to the US, but what if I want to stay? What if we want to stay there? Um, if we're not married, it's going to be very difficult for you to move, right? Um, so if, if I try to justify a visa for my girlfriend. And, and so one day I, I just turned to her and said, hey, I'm going to go down to the, you know, whatever you call it, the, the, the office, <laughs> right? And, and I'll, you know, and I'll, I'll get the paperwork for us to get married. And that was my marriage proposal. And, and how many children do you have? And now two. God, you're so lucky that she didn't just throw you out at that point. Exactly. <laughs> it's just, it's just <laughs> unbelievably lucky. So, so then, you know, I married five days before I left. And, you know, I left to the US six months later. I said, no, no, we need to stay here. We need to. So she flew over and she spent like a week or two. She thought it was actually at the time she was a bit hesitant. But then we had the opportunity for her to actually um, do a degree here in the US. And so she ended up coming. We spent another three and a half years, spent, I think a total of four years in Michigan. And it was, I mean, it was one of the best times in my life. We were, you know, we were young, we were just enjoying life and science was, was great. Um, and then, uh, you know, unfortunately, since I didn't finish my PhD by the time my fellowship ended, I didn't have a visa anymore. So I had to just make that decision of, you know, whether I throw away my PhD um, and restart again after four years. Um, or I go back to Portugal, finish it, and try to come back to the to the U.S. and and that's what we did. Uh, except it took us 13 years to come back to the U.S. But it was always in the back of our minds, both my my wife and I. Um, and actually, we we had our son. Uh, he was eight months uh, old when we moved back to Portugal, so we already had the son. Very difficult times. Uh, we didn't have money. We didn't have a job. Um, I didn't have a lab to to stay. Again, I was helped by. You know by incredible people that that took me in in their lab um they just allowed me to work you know here's a computer to you know finish your phd maybe you can work for us you know in some projects and that's how i actually started my postdoc afterwards um you know and things just just got better for both of us and you know 
Um, and then by the time then I moved to flow cytometry, um, you know, I, I managed to, to gain a reputation in such a way that um, one day I started looking out for, for jobs in the US and, and I had this opportunity to come and work at, at Sloan Kettering and, and I took it um, without hesitation. Love the way you say you gave yourself a reputation. That can be a good or a bad thing. Uh, so, <laughs> exactly. question: quick, quick fire, some quick fire questions. Hmm. Portugal okay. or US? US. Michigan or New York? New York. Oh, you're on safe ground. Mac or PC? Now Mac. <laughs> now Mac. Okay. <laughs> I've, I've changed throughout. You know, I've been a Mac guy. I changed to PC yeah. guy. Now I'm a Mac guy again. <laughs> I'm actually agnostic. No, beer or wine? Wine. Red or white? Absolutely. That's no doubt. American or Portuguese? Wine. Portuguese. Ah. Portuguese. I love Portuguese red wine. My favorite at the moment is a Portuguese red. I, mm -hmm. I have I've about 36 in the garage stocked up, along with other bits, but. Okay. A good you, batch. You, You've got to enjoy it. Exactly. Uh, coffee or tea? Tea. Do you drink coffee? I drink coffee. I mostly drink coffee, but I enjoy more tea. Okay. Just, just imagining what you like on a lot of coffee. Chocolate or cheese? Cheese. Cheese. Ooh. No doubt. Okay. <laughs> Early bird or night owl? Early bird. Well, actually, both. <laughs> that's something. Yeah, that's a balance I've been trying to... <laughs> To get, but yeah, both actually. Okay. What's your pet hate? What do you not like? As a what, pet? No, no, as in a pet hate. So something uh, something that annoys you. Oh, something that annoys me. Oh. Um... Don't say podcasts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. I get, oh, it's a difficult, yeah, I haven't thought about that. You know, I tend to try to be very non judgmental. So I really enjoy pretty much everything but of course there are things that annoy me let me see i don't know i i, I hate when people waste my time i i, I really don't like that okay you know? they don't respect that you you know that you have a, a life let's say and we should quickly move on mm -hmm. uh <laughs> what's one of your passions in life outside of work outside of work oh you know i i would say people people are my passion i just love like, you know, I think about traveling and things like that, but what I really like of traveling is meeting different people. And and so even locally, I, I just, you know, I could go to a bar as long as I'm with the, 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 the right company. For me, that's, you know, we can be outside, not even in a bar, anywhere. As long as I have good company, that's what I love best, people. Do you have any bad habits? Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> Like um, staying up late and waking up too early. <laughs> That's what I'm... <laughs> you um, must have more bad habits than that. Oh, um, yeah. I, I'm sure. I can't think of any at the moment. <laughs> it's, it's always dodgy when you won't confess to it. Uh, <laughs> it is. What about sports or hobbies? What do you do in your... Yes, I, I play soccer. Or actually, I should say football. I'm, I'm already very Americanized here. Right, soccer's um, good. I play I play football. Actually, I'm just recovering from uh, um, this this pinky finger here. Yep. I last Sunday, um, so I was playing as a goalie. So I, I play a lot as a goalie because He's I it back. right and I so actually no it 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 it, it came out and it went so out of the socket and and towards the inside. So I thought I had broken it, um, it but no, it was just dislocated. So now it's feeling really, but yeah, that's, that's what I enjoy. I play every week. Uh, I used to play two, three times. Uh, now I'm playing maybe once a week or I try to. So if you're a soccer fan, Ronaldo or Fernandez? Ronaldo, Ronaldo. Better player today. Today, yeah, that's questionable, but, but you know, Ronaldo still has the experience, right? So. <laughs> I'm a Man U fan, so I love both. <laughs> so, so, that, that's not such a big problem, is it? Uh, right. TV or book? What? TV or book? Oh, book. Book. Absolutely. I, I'm only starting to watch TV now. Um, um, what sort of book? Fact? Fiction? Um, I actually, I, 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 I try both, you know, because I usually tend to go to fact 
you know, I like a lot of, um, I don't know, historical books or books about politics, uh, science, um, but then, you know, but then it gets too serious and I need to relax a little bit. So I, I always, um, you know, I start, you know, I have a reading, sometimes I'm reading both, you know, at the same time, or I'll just alternate between a, a fact book and, and, and then fiction, because I, I really enjoy fiction also, any type of fiction. What's your favorite movie? Ooh, that's a good question. My favorite movie. I think it would be, I mean, there are a lot of favorite movies. It's, it's always difficult for me to say, but I would say probably Once Upon a Time in America is probably up there okay. um, for the movie, but also the music. Um, <laughs> yeah. so we have got five minutes. and I've, I've got a few questions. So I'm going to have to cut down and just think about which question best to ask. Uh, I think we've heard about your inspirations. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think Alexis obviously played a very big part in that very early on. Uh, and you're right, he does go off on tangents quite frequently. Mm -hmm. uh, would you say taking that job? No, I, would you say your undergraduate, the start of was probably the most challenging time of your career so far? The undergraduate, no, I would, I wouldn't say. I mean, it was very challenging, right? And and you know, I was mostly disappointed, so it was more challenging in that sense that okay, I have to finish it and get over with because I'm not learning anything. So, like the last two years were were really tough because I just wanted to move on and start working in the lab. Um, but no, I would say the 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 most challenging time of my career was when I went back to Portugal because like I said um, we didn't have any money so it was more both a personal but also I didn't have a lab to to be in I didn't have support from my from my supervisors and so a lot of my PhD I did it by myself I had huge help from informally from a colleague of mine that supervised me uh, Fernando um, he was amazing he, he took all his time to to help me you know finish my my PhD so he was really a, an important person in, in, in my life at the time. But it was really challenging because, you know, we didn't have any perspectives. You know, things were looking really, really dim at the time. And and we just said, well, you know, we can't go backwards because there's no way, you know, um, to go backwards. So we just have to move forward. And so it was it was a time it took maybe three, four years where we were underwater. And I remember once in a while feeling like I could breathe a little bit and then go underwater again and just wait and things will get better. And, and they did. And, and now I look back and, and those were amazing times, you know, times that I learned a lot about life and about people, about, you know, about our profession and all these things. And so it really taught me a lot. But, but I think those, those were the more challenging, even more than when I came here to, the, to New York to run this huge facility, um, even more than that. And I think that helped a lot, you know, that experience helped a lot. Um, so <clears throat> one final, uh, not, not so serious question. <clears throat> if you could have any job in the world, what job, what would you do? Oh, shoot. I think I've thought about that, but I don't know. I really enjoy what I do, you know, and I've been thinking a lot about, you know, is, is running a core facility what I do? Actually, I've had the opportunity to, become you know director of, of course and i don't i don't even that's not something i like you know um so i like people a lot managing people that's a different thing <laughs> i like people when i don't have to manage them yeah right i took that step but i kept my cool <laughs> right <laughs> so you know i really like i really like what i do um you know i like solving problems Right. So any job where I can. So I'm, I'm not, you know, fixed in science and, and flow cytometry um, at, at the moment. I could change to something completely different um, and it would be you know, exciting to learn something completely different. Um, and I think, you know, that's one of my favorite characteristics is that, you know, I know that I'll be hopefully if I'm 90 years old, I'll still be excited to change, to move to you know, to leave my comfort zone, you know, um, leaving your comfort zone is one of the most difficult things, but it's also one of the most um, gratifying things um, when, you know, when you start becoming successful, it's, it's, it's really nice. So, so finally, finally, on a far less serious note, you said earlier when you were a computer scientist, uh, not calling that back then, but 
computer scientist, that actually everything was quite quiet until you started talking and telling jokes and stuff. So what is your favorite joke that's clean? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit, yeah, no, I've never, I've never, so I'm, I love, I love dad jokes. I can say that. So maybe I don't have a joke in particular that would be my favorite, but definitely dad jokes, which of course my children, um, you know, always um, scoff, you know, like when I, when I can tell them these jokes. Um, and actually most people will scoff <laughs> when you say a dad joke. Example. Go on. Uh, I don't know. There was there was one just just yesterday. Uh, yeah, like at the top of my head. If you put me in the spot, I don't know. That's why I'm actually not a comedian because if I'm in, if I'm put in the spot, I, I forget everything. But you know, if we're having an informal conversation, you know, the jokes will start coming out. Um, I this was informal. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it was informal, but you know, like when you're put in the spot, I don't know. Um, they're, they're, you know, especially, you know, jokes like, um, so, you know, Larson, you know, the, 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 the comic strip, right. Uh, it's this kind this kind of humor. I love, I can say I've been influenced by a lot of great, uh, comedians like, um, Benny Hill, <laughs> oh. a lot of people would question whether that would be a comedian. Um, but I, I used to watch Benny Hill so much when I was young, <laughs> so much. And it was now. Now I look at it and I go, oh, "That was yeah, so your favorite joke, not a confession." Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's um yeah, and, and I don't know. I'm trying to think of other you know comedians that that inspired me, but but yeah, it's it's difficult to you know to think of a joke. Okay. So. so one final, final, final question. Oh, I know I'll think of it when when we when we turn off the, the yeah. Zoom call. We'll, we'll just keep recording and we can put it as an outtake at the end of it. How's that? So, so who would you like to see next on Flow Stars? Oh, that's a, that's a that's a good that's a good point. Who would I like to see? Um, well, I would definitely like to to see mm. Howard. I think Howard would have, would have been a, an amazing uh, person. I don't know. There are a lot of people I would think of, um, you know, I don't know, from the top of my head, uh, you know, people here in the U.S., for instance, um, you know, uh, Joanne Lanigan, I think she's, she's had a, an amazing. Oh, one thing that I would, one person I would love to, to, to see is um, Trisha Rogers. I think, I think people should know um, she, she runs the core at the Broad uh, Institute. Um, she's pretty known here in the U.S. I don't know, how, you know, how well known she is in, in Europe and other places, but um, I think she, you know, as a person and where she is and knowing her background, how she got there, she's an extremely inspiring person. And I think everyone should should know her. How do you say her path? Yeah, that could uh, be a yes. I think I think, yeah, I think if I would think of somebody to interview, um, it would be her. Definitely. Thank you, Rui. That will go on the list. <laughs> Rui, thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, everyone who's been watching or listening, thank you for joining us. Uh, you've heard about Alfonso, uh, Tim Bushnell. You've heard Derek Davis dropped into this. You'll see a lot of these people actually on the other podcasts in the past. And you've just heard of who I've got to go and invite next. Uh, Rui, thank you very much for joining us. Thank today. you. It was a pleasure, Peter. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. <laughs>